When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 25. This is Writing Excuses. Choosing your agent. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. And I'm Dong Wan. Dong Wan is uh, joining us again. This is his uh, third episode with us. Dong Wan, I understand that you, uh, you, you spend some time working as an agent. I have. <laughs> I've actually started my career as an agent and then wandered off for many years doing other tasks in the industry and have come back to being an agent in the past uh, three and a half years now. Well, this morning we had the opportunity to hear you talk about uh, the publishing business and uh, one of the parts that was most interesting to me was was that uh, opening salvo of, you know, choosing your agent and what that relationship ends up looking like. Yeah, one thing I like to talk about a lot is making it really clear to writers that um, your agent works for you. Uh, if you're in the query trenches right now, the power dynamic feels very weighted towards the agent side. Uh, you're trying to get their attention. You're trying to get someone to pay attention to you and make an offer of representation. But one of the things I like to really drive home is once that offer representation has been made, the power dynamic completely inverts. Now, what the agent wants is for you to choose them. Um, and one of the reasons that we chose this phrasing for the episode title is the idea that you have a choice in this uh, uh, relationship is a really important one. And it's one that I think a lot of writers lose sight of because they're just so focused on getting an agent, any agent. Instead, what I'd like people to do is start thinking very carefully about who they want to work with who's going to be the right business partner to them over the course of their career. Ideally, an author-agent relationship will go on for years and hopefully decades. Um, you know, optimally, it's the course of both of your careers. Um, and you need to think carefully about who you're going to be working with over that period of time and who you want to be helping you run your business. And this is, uh, I, I want to say, something that uh, I stumbled on, and you've heard me talk about this on previous episodes where my my first my very first agent um, was not a good agent, and and we we often hear people say you know a bad agent is worse than no agent and and the concrete thing that I had happen was that my my first agent I was I had warning flags that went off but but it was an agent and they were excited about my work and and I had heard so much about how difficult it was to get an agent so even though I had some warning flags that this person might be flaky. I went ahead and signed. And what happened was they sat on my novel for a year without sending it out. 
And it was a year in, it w- in which it was ready. So this was a actively holding me back. The other thing that can happen with a bad agent or with an agent who's, and this is, these are people who are just like not good at their job, um, is that if they s- try to sell your work incompetently to a, to a publishing house and then you leave them and you come back, it's going to be very difficult to sell that same title later. Yeah, that's the... Um there, there is a there is a principle here that uh, it's a broader business business principle, um, hearkening back to Dong Wan, what you said earlier about you know you're you're choosing a business partner. Um, this business partner is carrying your authorial brand as the flag when they march into the office, and if they misbehave, if they if they do a bad job with the pitch. If they happen to be somebody that, uh, for whatever reason, you know, that editorial team, publishing team, just really doesn't like having in the room. That one actually is less of an issue um, because as long as they've got good taste. As long as they've got good taste. But you just know that whoever you are picking, um, a portion of who they are ends up as part of your brand at least to the editors and publishers. A lot of the industry's interaction with you will be filtered through your agent. Um, so if your agent has a certain reputation, has a certain way of operating, that is going to influence how people see you. It's not entire. Uh, you will have your own brand. And you know, I know many writers have the opposite reputation of their agents. Uh, but Howard is absolutely right that in those initial contacts, in those initial meetings, uh, that will definitely color it. Um, so sort of your, your the first step in choosing an agent is don't choose someone who's bad at their job. Um, and, you know, uh, this last year, there were been a couple sort of highly publicized incidents of agents who turned out to be acting against their own writer's interests. Um, and, you know, that's been a very challenging moment. And my heart goes out to all of those writers. Um, it can be hard to spot that person. There's some online resources that you can use to check out, like Query Tracker. Um, or Query Shark, but really your best defense is having a good network, um, talking to your friends, making friends with other writers, and asking around about somebody's reputation before you make a decision to go forward with them. Yeah, you're also well within your rights to ask that agent if you can talk to some of their other authors. I get a lot of requests from my agent, hey, could you talk to this person? I would like to acquire their book, and I'm always happy to recommend my agent. And, uh, if you get an agent whose authors are not happy to recommend her, maybe stay away. Yeah. Are you still with the agent you were with years yes, ago? Yes, Sarah from- Crow, and she's amazing. So I just, uh, I actually just changed agents uh, in the last year. And the reason I did that was not because I had a bad agent. My agent uh, was very good, but uh, my career trajectory was such that I needed a different type of agent than I did at the beginning of my career. Um, so the thing that was happening with my career trajectory was, and the reason that I felt like I needed someone who was a little more aggressive was um, that I was in the downward spiral. And this happens to a number of writers in the course of their career that there's a, there's what they call it, the, the death, the, the, the series death spiral. So I'd had that happen. And then I had, and then I had a novel that came out um, and my book tour began on election day uh, in 2016, which was a fraught year regardless of where you were, and, and book sales generally were declining. But, but when people are looking at, at, your, you know, at your numbers, they don't look at the current events that are going around it. They just look at the numbers. So I needed someone 
who was more aggressive. Um, and it was it was a difficult choice because it would have been easier if my agent was doing things that were actively wrong. And that wasn't the case. It was just, I needed a different style. And this is one of the things that I think you have to, while it's ideal to have an agent that stays with you over the course of your career, uh, it's also important to know kind of what you need going into it. Um, that is, and again, coming back to the general principle of business partners, um, there is this there is this point of diminishing returns between what I need out of a new agent, what I lose if I if I don't switch, and the cost of switching. And it's easy for us uh, in in crossing that crossing that chasm. Uh, it's easy for us to overestimate the size of of the peril and just out of fear of changing, stay in the same place. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's difficult. And many, many writers uh, will have multiple agents over the course of their careers. And there's nothing, there's no inherent problem to that. Um, like any long-term relationship, what you need out of it will change over time. Um, and it's also important to remember that your agent is also not a fixed point. Um, they're revolving in their career as well and how they operate, what circumstances they're in, what agency they're at, all those things mm-hmm. can shift and change over time. Um, and those changes will impact you um, and impact how the business operates. So it's it's very important to keep that line of communication open and be talking about your goals and are they being met in this relationship or not, and then figure out what you need out of that. Yeah, and that was that was very much the case with with my agent. My previous agent was that um, that they had had a they had had a promotion at work and were suddenly handling more things than than they had been, and so the uh, the attention that they were able to give to individual authors who was was shifting, and it, and and like none of us were being neglected. It was just the communication style had changed. Uh, and the aggression, uh, I think, had had shifted, or at least my perception of it. So that was that was one thing that that was also going in in there is that you know a change in in my agent's uh, life as well. Yeah. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's, uh, let's take a, a quick break and talk about a book. Don Juan? Yeah, this week I want to talk about uh, Sarah Gailey's Magic for Liars. Uh, this is Sarah Gailey's debut novel uh, coming out from Tor Books. It should have just come out on June 4th. Uh, and it is a murder mystery set at a magical school for uh, teenagers. Um, it is not a young adult novel. It is a very adult novel about a woman who is called in to investigate a murder of a faculty member at this school. Uh, 
and the protagonist's twin sister also is a teacher at this school. And as you would have it, that sister is magic and she is not. And she needs to figure out what happened and unpack this really gruesome murder and figure out uh, why teenagers are so goddamn terrifying. (laughs) Especially when they have magic powers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, as the the, uh, uh, father of uh, two current teenagers, um, I would love to know the answer to that question. (laughs) Uh, Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Sarah's. They're uh, 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 cowboy hippopotamus books. <laughs> love love those so much. Okay, um, I want to talk about about your toolbox as an author. I'm I'm big on the toolbox me- metaphor. What are the tools that authors have at their disposal to start searching for agents who meet their criteria? We've talked about a couple of them on, on previous podcasts. The the advice that I am often given, uh, had been given and, and often give, uh, is to pay attention to what authors are happy with their agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and specifically looking for authors, um, there's, we, we always are told to look at the authors whose work is similar, but I actually think you should also try to look at the author who's authors whose process is similar because that's going to be people with whom you have a similar communication style. And um, I'm, I'm going to continue using myself as a useful representative example. When I, when I left my previous agent and uh, moved on, because of where I am in my career, and I, I, am, I do have multiple Hugos, I, I am marketable. Um, I, I had the good fortune of having a couple of choices, and I was doing due diligence, and I went into it expecting that at the end of having done due diligence that I would be signing with Dong Wan. Uh, that I was just like, but I'm going to check with some other people just in case. Oh, she went there. <laughs> no, I, 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 cleared it. I cleared this with him before, before we got into it. And it was, it was a really hard choice um, because, uh, like, the, the authors that he represents are people that I like. They are people that I have a lot in common with. Um, I think he's wicked smart, and there were all of these different things. And what it finally came down to... Um, between Dong Wan and Seth Fishman, who is my agent now, was I realized that what I needed was someone who filled the, my, the, my weaknesses. And the difference between their agenting styles, in, in a lot of ways, they're both very good with developmental stuff and things like that, but Dong Wan is about building relationships and Seth is a shark. Um, <laughs> And and it's I'm just not a nice shark. No, <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like you're the nursemaid shark. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's there is nothing. <laughs> there is not, um, but but it was basically I was like I'm good at relationships. That's not the spot that I need. I need bolstering, and uh, and and so both of them would have been a good choice. But it was really about learning what I needed. Mm-hmm. And and it's quite possible that that is what I needed early in my career as well, but I didn't know myself as well as an author and, and what my process and how I was going to fit into the industry was. So when you're looking at the toolbox, you know, it's important, yes, to be able to find the agent, but just knowing a list of agents' names is not as useful as knowing what it is you need out of the agent. So mm-hmm. uh, Absolute Right is a good source for checking to make sure that the agent isn't shady um, I also find that if you type in the agent's name and then uh, scam afterwards, 
Um, and hope there's no hits. And hope there's no hits, yes. Uh, harassment after that. Uh, these are scandal. Th- those are good words to just good kind of Good things to not be attached yeah. to. Yeah, and then, and then looking at um, uh, Publishers Weekly, Locus, looking at who made sales and... and mm-hmm. In 2006, um, I... We played with the idea of getting Schlock Mercenary uh, represented, agented, uh, shipped out to a publisher because, you know, self-pubbing actual paper books that weigh actual tons of actual mass is hard work. And, um, And my friend Rodney had written a technical manual a few years earlier and had an agent and his, his experience with the agent was funny. He said, I've already, I've already sold the book. I, there, I can't mess with, you know, there's nothing you can do. She said, I tell you what, let me represent you. And, uh, and I know the contract's been signed, but just let me represent you. She went and she got him a 50% raise on the book. Her 15% came out of that. And Rodney was like, Oh, Oh, I do need an agent. <laughs> um, Rodney introduced me to that agency, which was the Barbara Bova agency, um, which does a lot of science fiction. You know, so I came into this from outside the industry through a contact who was just somebody I knew in the tech world. Um, part of the toolbox is talking to people and listening to their mm-hmm. experiences. That experience from Rodney was like, I want that to happen to me. And that agency... Uh, the results were the best possible results, which were uh, everybody we talked to said, we love this, but it's not what we do. Or, uh, I mean, we already read it, but it's not what we do. And wow, this sounds awesome, but it's not what we do. The agent went out and determined that the market I wanted at the time didn't exist. And, you know, the relationship's over now because the agent's not going to make any money. Um, but that is, I consider that a success story mm-hmm. because Absolutely. I found an agent who, in the space of six months, uh, told me that the business plan that I already had was the right one. So let's expand this toolbox a little bit more. When you're talking to people, when you're talking to other authors, what are some of the questions you can ask them to find out how they work with their agent? Uh, two of the big ones for me, first of all, is uh, what genres does your agent work in? Uh, because I got, I, I started with Sarah because I had written a horror novel, but I knew that I wanted to write more than that. One of the reasons that she and I work so well together is that she covers horror, but also science fiction and also YA and middle grade, uh, which kind of covers all of the playgrounds that I wanted to play in. Not every agent does. And so finding someone who is willing to go with you when you start hopping genres is valuable if that's what you want to do. Uh, one of the other ones is uh, what level of editorial involvement do you want your agent to have? Because different agents do it differently. Different authors want different things. And so if you want an agent who will be very hands-on or very hands-off, ask their authors what that relationship is like. And I would point out that you should also ask the agent directly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. going back to Mary's example, we had a series of very long conversations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably spent upwards of seven or eight hours on the phone yeah. over the course of a few weeks talking a lot of this through. And this, when I get nervous when I'm signing a new client, if, they, if they're not asking me questions, then I start to have a little bit of a hesitation in my mind, actually, just because I'm, I'm worried that they're not putting the work in to make sure that this relationship is going to work out and that I'm going to be right for them. Um, 
And, you know, really at the core of this is communication style is really one of the most important things. Do you want someone who's very formal in the communication? Do you want a letter that's laid out? Um, do you want something that's very casual? Do you want to be t- talk to your agent once a week, once a month, once every six months? Um, you know, I have certain clients I talk to almost daily, and there's certain clients I talk to about every three or four months. It depends on what it is. Um, I am very, very informal in how I relate to a lot of my clients. And I think for certain people, that would drive them nuts, right? Um, and there are certain people who really appreciate that and sort of need that ability to check in periodically and be like, hey, is everything okay? You know, am I, am I on the right track? Is this going well? What's happening with this? So um, at, at risk of uh, going over general again, this is the your reminder that charisma is not a dump stat. <laughs> <laughs> the ability to have a conversation with someone in which the two of you connect and mm-hmm. determine what you expect out of this kind of a relationship. Um, you can build that skill set without talking to agents. Um, learning that skill set when your feet are in the fire is frightening. So you you remember in a previous episode, I talk about the uh, the coal relationship axes, which my mother-in-law came up with as a way to describe someone that you're dating. That you want to be roughly aligned on intelligence. You want to be roughly aligned on on where you feel money is important, um, uh, morals. Actually, you, you want your your you you want a moral agent towards you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but manners, uh, the, the similar communication style, the, these these apply to your agent as well as as to a character. Um, there's a, a really good agent um, that is someone that I could have gotten because they are, you know, they're, they're the agent of a friend. They're very successful. Um, and I would have run a fire poker through them within two minutes of conversation um, because our communication styles are wildly out of alignment. And, and at the same time, you're not looking for a best friend right? It is a business partner. It's good if you can be friends, but that's not, you need someone who is good at their job first, and then someone you can communicate with second. Mind, manners, money, morals, murder. (laughs) (laughs) Marx Brothers. We try to be more positive about it. (laughs) I will say I often try to avoid the romantic relationship analogy when talking about finding your agent, but it is inevitable that it comes up at some point because I think there are a lot of similarities and parallels. Yeah, there definitely are. Um, on, on those notes, um, Dong Wang, do you have uh, homework you can assign to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, your homework assignment is going to be a little bit of self-examination. Uh, I want you to think about your career and what's important to you and how you like to operate. Think about times you've been in a business setting, at a job, in a meeting, and think about the things that you found very frustrating and what you would find irritating to work with over a long period of time with somebody who is working with some of the most important work to you. Uh, Make a list of those attributes. What are you looking for in an agent? What kind of communication style? Do you want someone who edits you? Do you want someone who doesn't? Uh, How would you like them to pursue a deal? Do you want them to go all out all the time, or do you want them to build relationships and be very targeted? Um, Those are questions you should ask yourself and start making that list of those attributes that are important to you. And make the list. You got to write this down because this is writing excuses and you're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. 
jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.